Welcome to the State of the Lakers post-game show on Dash Radio. Raj and I are pleased to finally announce that the that the Lakers looked like the Lakers, the Lakers that we had hoped <laughs> they would be for the first time this season. Um, and you know what? Uh, I'm sure some people who haven't been paying attention will try to undercut to some extent, but was a really impressive win against a really good team that has shown some flashes of defense in the last week that we really haven't seen much in recent NBA history, taking high powered offenses and holding them to the eighties and nineties like Denver, like Atlanta, like the Clippers, just a really good basketball team that is, that is smartly put together. And the Lakers who have not been a good basketball team this year, finally put some stuff together that we knew they needed to put together in order to compete and and got the job done. Raj, what what, what is your overarching, you know, 30,000 feet type of uh, opinion <laughs> from this game to start with? So I don't know if I'm at 30,000 feet yet. Like I'm still, you know, the plane is kind of going up. So I just kind of, the plane just went up. But uh, it was nice to have LeBron back, I guess. Like that was, I guess, my first kind of takeaway. The last few games we were kind of analyzing the team without him. And like I said, you have to find kind of lineups that are effective without LeBron playing, but it was just good to have him back. And he definitely kind of sleepwalked through a lot of this game. Um, he didn't really try on defense till the fourth, but that fourth quarter was really calming for me. I don't know about you, Jason, but like just to see that they have this gear to go to, like it was pretty clear. It was kind of just like a, let's walk through this. And then the fourth quarter, it was go time. And they really just went LeBron AD screen and roll. They knew they ran this a billion times. Quickly, LeBron came off, hit to AD, he scored. LeBron comes off, he gets to the rim. It was nice to see that that pet play is still there and then be able to turn on the defense, right? Go on these defensive runs, as we talk about, and we needed to see, and they did that tonight. Ten points, I think, for the Cavs um, for a lot of that fourth to close the half as well. I think they went on like a 13-0 run or something. So you could see the remnants there of a good defense. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my initial thoughts. How about you? So l- let's start with LeBron because I, I'm mm-hmm. actually going to be pretty critical of him tonight, uh, but I'm going to save it for later because he was so good at the end of that game that that has to yeah. be what we lead with. You know, one of the reasons why I've always valued LeBron, you know, compared to his peers is because of the well-rounded nature of his game. What he can do defensively when he's dialed in. What he can do as an isolation score. What he can do to attack mismatches. But most importantly, what he can do when a defense is geared up to stop you. Because that's the most important thing. Like It's not about what you can do in your individual matchup. Because nine times out of ten, when the shit hits the fan in the biggest playoff moments, they're throwing multiple bodies at you. They're throwing, they're mm-hmm. mixing coverages, they're sending doubles, they're trapping, they're, they're, they're helping off the weak side corner. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And LeBron is, without a doubt, the very best player in the game right now at deciphering that type of defense. And that sequence at the end of the game was such a, an interesting basketball sequence because when you, when you beat a team with one specific play – they're always going to shade and adjust in that direction to try to stop it the next time. And it was so interesting to watch him go through the progression of that AD mm-hmm. pick and roll. And they, they threw little wrinkles in, like they would have Baysmore set a quick little pin screen down on AD's man so that AD would have just yeah. a tiny bit of separation as he was coming up to set the screen. But this, the right. cycle was pretty simple. He pick and roll with AD, they stayed home on LeBron. He just threw a pocket pass, AD lays it up. Very next possession, pick and roll with AD. LeBron's going down the lane. This time, the guy in the drop coverage is a little bit closer to the rim to try to watch out for AD in that pocket pass. So LeBron just continues all the way and finishes. And then on the third one, this time they kind of send help from the weak side corner. And LeBron swings it reverse across the court to Bazemore in the corner who's wide open. There's a rotating defender. He swings it to Bradley, knocks down a wide open three. And then the following possession, they just switched the pick and roll because when you're having trouble, uh, uh, when you're having trouble uh, with your traditional pick and roll mm-hmm. coverage with guys dying on the screen, if you just switch it, it usually will force you to isolate. Well, LeBron just isolated yeah. Jared Allen and took him right to the basket and made a three. And then on the final possession, they literally trapped LeBron on the pick and roll, and AD slipped it, but. Carmelo's man stepped into the lane to take away the dump pass and LeBron just swung it to Carmelo who made a three and that progression, that ability to 
decipher each and every possible defensive counter to your pick and roll uh, uh, that you're running with LeBron and AD, that is what makes him a top tier superstar in addition to all the other things that he does. And that's what, that's what makes us Laker fans so optimistic because that type of defense deciphering is exactly what you need to win playoff games. And again, I'm going to be critical of LeBron later on because I thought he was really bad defensively in this game. And I thought it trickled down in a lot of ways, but Mm -hmm. that little stretch he went in that game was back and forth and back and forth. And the Cavs would get a little lead and then the Lakers would fight back. Then all of a sudden it was over because of like a six or seven possession stretch where one of the best players in the world just picked you apart. And having that in your back pocket as a weapon is such an asset for this team. Yeah, for sure. And I've like, and I don't think it's a coincidence that happened when AD was at the five, right? As well, I believe AD was at the five Absolutely. when they made their run. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I was on the I was on the boat early that I thought DeAndre Jordan can play those first six, you know, five minutes and we'll be fine. But I think I'm starting to turn over onto that other side. Like the offense is just too ugly when he's out there. And even when Dwight was out there, I thought tonight was bad. Um, he kind of gets he gets off the loose a lot, uh, off the hook a lot uh, with DeAndre Jordan not playing the way he does. Uh, but yeah, like I feel like we're gonna have to go to this AD at the five more. Like Russ just can't get going. And I thought that second quarter when I think the Cavs made like ten straight shots in a row, I believe that mm-hmm. was. Um, that was with like Russ. I think it was Russ, um, Dwight, and like Melo. And you saw Vogel kind of. Vogel kind of put his foot down, right? Malik Monk only played four minutes in that first half. Carmelo was getting picked on relentlessly, and I don't like those lineups when he's out there with just Dwight, and I think it was also Malik Monk, and he's like the main help defender. So every mm-hmm. single time, it's just a pick and roll, and they have really like high-powered guards, right? Darius Garland, a guy who can pull up. Uh, it's Colin Sexton as well, but mainly it was Garland. He was coming off. Dwight was up, and it's Carmelo's job to help, and they just got picked on relentlessly. And I thought this was the first time I saw Vogel kind of put his foot down, like, no, if you're not going to make that rotation, you're not going to play. He pulled uh, Melo for Bazemore. Monk got pulled instantly, and then Austin Reeves, man. Like, I, I don't know if he want. I don't know if you want to be. If he wants to be the next guy we talk about, but I, saw, I just, <laughs> I just thought he was huge, man. Like, like I, I know it's not flashy or anything, but everything he does kind of just comes off the screen just because of how our other guards defend. Like, he plays well. He got a lot of like uh, close to jump ball plays. He just in the right. He's just in the right place. He chases over screens correctly. He makes the right read, and it just fits our defensive coverage. What do you think of Austin Reeves? Because I thought I tweeted that he might need to start. Like, if we're going to go to this AD at the five, which it seems like it needs to, and maybe just because the injuries, DeAndre Jordan will continue to start here, and maybe the win tonight continues that as well. But I feel like we're going to have to eventually go small, and with our injuries, he might be the one that fits in. What do you see from Austin Reeves? So, yeah, so let's so this is actually the perfect like, little segue into the Laker defense, because I thought Austin Reeves, Avery Bradley and Dwight mm-hmm. Howard in particular, Bazemore, too, as well, had a little stretch in yeah. the second quarter in particular. But those those four guys ignited the Laker defense mm-hmm. and the stars ended up following suit as bad as LeBron and A.D. were uh, defensively to start the game. They both were outrageously good in the, at the end of the fourth quarter, oh, yeah. blowing up stuff around the rim. So, but the, 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 the backward, the ass backwards part of that is the fact that it started with the role players and that, so to be, I'm saying that is a massive compliment to Austin Reeves, to Avery Bradley and to those guys. However, it shouldn't work that way. And that's, that's yeah. the one thing that I'd like to see, to, to see shifted moving, moving forward is it needs to be LeBron and AD and Russ that set that example because you know what, like that, that sort of thing will make it so that these, because there's a consistency you can expect from those guys, but the other guys on the periphery, like Mello, like Malik Monk, those guys are, are inconsistent with their defensive effort or, or lack thereof altogether. And so they're going to be more willing to put in that type of effort and gain that type of identity if they see the stars do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of unfortunate tonight that it required the role players to come in uh, you know, specifically role players that were never intended to be part of this rotation to begin with, like Bradley, like Reeves, who came in and ignited the team as, as awesome as it was and as great as those guys are. And we're going to talk a lot about what they did to help, you know, what, why it works with them on the floor. But I just I, I do as an identity of this team, it needs to trickle down from the top. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hope I'm hopeful that moving forward, that's something that LeBron and AD and Russ will embrace 
Um, because that's pretty shameful when the undrafted kid <laughs> comes in and finally gets you to start playing hard. Like the kid who's literally fighting for his spot in the league is the one that finally convinces you to hit the jets a little bit. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, I mean, the Austin Reeves thing is as simple. It's just, it's un, it's bottled up energy that is just being released, you know, unendingly during his, during his shift on the floor. He literally is selling out on the defensive end, even at the expense of his body, he's diving in, getting two hands on the ball. Every time a guy picks up his dribble, putting his chest and face in the way he's going to get elbows. He's going to get, you know, uh, shoulders in the chin and all sorts of crazy stuff. He's going to take the beating. He's putting in the work because it's a dirty job. It's a dirty job to chase dudes over the top of pick and roll. When in the NBA, the other team is running 60 pick and rolls a night. You know what I mean? Like it's a dirty job right. and someone's got to be willing to do it. And so far early in the season, Reeves and Bradley and Bazemore have been the three guys who have been willing to do it. Yeah, and you you brought up the Reeves defense, and that's all true. But I think even on offense as well, like I don't think you talked about him as like a guy who attacks closeouts, right? He's really good at that. And I thought you saw him like as a connector mm-hmm. again tonight. He had a couple like really nice passes where he like shot fake, drove, and then like cross court pass to the corner to Mello. And then he had one where the ball moved, and I think he like pass fake found Russ at the rim. Like he just knows how to play and again those are all cliches i guess uh but he's just really good as a guy who's a connector who can put, play next to stars and it just fits and his defense is at a baseline level enough and again he'll get picked on and stuff like that but i thought just tonight putting him on the guards like ruby ricky rubio got him a couple times and again ricky rubio turns into steph curry mixed with damian lillard against <laughs> the lakers for some reason you could see carmelo being like man i put a hand up and he hit like a step back left three on the wing side but i thought like austin Reeves did a nice job on him as well and again i'm just trying to fit and see how like if ad is going to start at the five you need two other wing guys next to russ and lebron and like if if reeves is the guy i think he can fit until we get our kind of full rotation going but yeah i thought he was really good and shout out to avery bradley man he was a plus 20 i think um at the end of the third or something like that he was a plus 20 and he just fits Vogel's kind of defensive style. Like you could tell Vogel likes him. They have that connection from 2020. I think he's going to play a lot going forward, especially if his three's going down. But he's just a tenacious guy, high like point of attack defense. Yeah, but like that, that like tenacious <laughs> point of attack defender gets into you, like, you know, is a little sturdy, doesn't, you know, give up anything, like goes around screens, chases. Like that just fits what Vogel wants defensively. You could tell. Like, he went to him over Malik Monk, and, you know, Avery Bradley wasn't even on the team until, like, a couple weeks ago. Um, but he went with him over Malik Monk because he's the guy who's going to defend harder. And Bradley knows the system, knows the plays. Um, he's coming off these, like, little handoffs. He had a nice, like, uh, I think dribble handoff with AD where he scored at the rim. He just kind of knows the team, and uh, he fits. I think he's going to play a lot going forward. But, yeah, shout out to them. Bazemore as well. I thought he played his role. Um, just high effort guys, and I think you need that. I want to ask you this because we're going into this stretch of like we're playing a bunch of bad teams, right? I'm not sure who they play next. Yeah, back to back, back to back with Houston at home Sunday, Tuesday, right. and then uh, Thursday they play OKC again at home, and then on Saturday they go up to Portland. So you got three straight really, 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 really bad yeah. teams, and then uh, and then they'll head up for a. Challenge. I'm wondering like if we're about to see some like bad habits kind of build up because I thought that's what tonight was like, even though the. I thought it would be a little different because of what happened in OKC. Like, and again, I thought they started well, but then they completely again took the foot off the gas. Some of that is lineup as well. But like, we might see a couple bad habits because you could tell AD and LeBron really coasted through that first half. Like, look, Evan Mo, Evan Mo was oh, yeah. really good. Like, I think that guy is going to be special. But he was like what seven for ten in that first half. Like, there was just no resistance mm-hmm. on the defensive end. And I tweeted this before. Like, our defensive talent isn't good enough to where if Bron and AD are disengaged on the end, we're just not going to defend well. But what do you think about, like, do you think there's some bad habits that are going to be built here as we go into this stretch with some more bad teams? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Russ in particular will want to get his revenge on Oklahoma City. <laughs> oh, yeah, <for> sure. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the Houston ones in particular will be rough. I mean, here's the thing, and th- this is what we were talking about this uh, from an identity perspective, right? Because I was actually talking with Samus Fondiari about this on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. earlier. Like, you know, the, the, the 2020 Lakers were so much fun to root mm-hmm. for because, you know, people like rooting for people who work hard. That's just, it's just the reality. Like it does, it, it doesn't make you more likable as an athlete to, to coast and BS your way through stuff. Even if you do get wins, that's an unlikable trait. You know, the, what was Zach Lowe did a really good job of this, uh, pointing this out in the 2020 season from the start, from training camp, LeBron and AD, 
embraced the defensive end in a way that LeBron in particular had not done so since 2016 in Cleveland. And it set a tone that trickled down the roster and that's how they went 24 and three to start the year. They had extremely good defensive habits that started from the top down. And what's been really unfortunate about this season in particular is, you know, AD, we have a tendency to cut Anthony Davis slack because he's so incredibly talented. And the same goes for LeBron. Like LeBron had 15 points in the first half and had some dunks and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, was, was pretty active offensively, but it's like, actually he was hurting the team in a lot of ways defensively. And the same goes for Anthony Davis. Like how, who's going to look at Anthony Davis, who's averaging 28 points a game on 50% shooting coming into tonight and be like, you have mm-hmm. to be better. You know, it's hard to do that, but that's the reality of their talent level as tier one superstars, guys who are above everyone else in the league. Like 28 on 50% shooting isn't enough if you're coasting through the game on the defensive end of the floor. And it, it, especially with LeBron, like it's LeBron, like these dudes literally grew up watching you. A lot of these younger guys on your team, like Malik Monk grew up watching you. You don't think he's going to watch you stand with your hands on your hips and watching Darius Garland lay up the ball and offering no help and think like, Hmm, like, I guess I don't have to do that either. You know what I mean? Like it's, it trickles down. And so from that standpoint, like I'm hopeful that in these Houston games and in the Oklahoma city game, that LeBron and AD just attack the game themselves to try to, you know, set that tone early, which will trickle down because at the end of the day, when you're up 26, like they were in Oklahoma city the other night, you'd like to have those guys sit out the yeah. fourth quarter. You know, you'd like to have them rest, do like a la the 2016 Warriors, you know what I mean? Like have AD sit 24th quarters this year. That's possible if against the games, against the teams like Houston, you put people away, put teams away and, and don't let it drag out. But you and I both know how this is going to go. <laughs> it's going to get ugly. Um, I just, it's just this team's identity to this point. They've shown me that they're lazy. So if that changes, then I will change my take on what the team's identity is. But right now, every single game this year, they've had a lack of focus and effort on the defensive end of the floor for extended stretches of the game, which wasn't the case in previous years. So I, that, what would tell you that that would change in Houston all of a sudden? Yeah, for sure. That's what it seems like it's going to be. And again, I thought tonight after that Oklahoma city kind of lost there, it'd be a little bit different. I thought like the starting unit did come out and play well. Uh, but maybe that just second quarter there where, like, the Cavs, again, hit 10 straight. I didn't really like the lineups either, Mellow, Dwight um, next to them. But I w- let's move on to Russ because, obviously, Russ is going to be the story, like I said, every single night. I thought today, again, he had a lot of, like, I don't know how many turnovers he had, but he should have probably had double if, like, the his teammates didn't catch them. He does a lot of, like, this. He still does a lot of this, like, where he drives, expects help. There's no help, and it's like he's in the air, and now he has to throw it back out. And now it's like a... It's pretty much a turnover, even though someone does catch it. Uh, but I thought, like, that transition with LeBron, I thought that was something that was nice. Like, we found them kind of connecting transition. I thought, like, they found something as well at the end of the game where, like, it was pretty – like, that's how the end of the games are going to go, right? And the playoff games are going to go. LeBron's going to have the ball. He's going to have 80 as a screener, and Russ is going to be off the ball. And I thought they kind of found something. They stuck him kind of in that dunker spot there when 80 was at the five, and it, it, and it works because you don't have another big in there. But, like, I thought he played – Okay, it was, again, another Russ game. What did you see from him tonight? So I need to rewatch the fourth quarter to see exactly the way Cleveland mm-hmm. guarded him uh, in those pick-and-roll actions that they spammed. Um, I thought he – like, so, so you said he was in the dunker spot. I, I thought I thought he might have been in the strong side corner for some of it, but I need to rewatch it because mm-hmm. I just honestly don't remember exactly. Um, but over the course of the game from the beginning, it was such a textbook Russell Westbrook type yeah. of game. Like – Early, early on, you have him bully Darius Garland to the basket for a layup. Like that's matchup hunting that I think is going to be devastating in playoff series, especially against a team like mm. Brooklyn, for instance. Like he's going to be able to take Patty Mills or Kyrie Irving and just bury him in the basket on a, on occasion in a way that will force uh, a Brooklyn to have to send double teams, which will trickle down to mm-hmm. open shots. He had. He hit the three that he took was wide open at the top of the key so much so that he had a chance to think about it, which I think is almost good for him. Like he should always be thinking not shoot, but if the defense is literally making him, then he can really get set up, get balanced, get his hands on the laces and knock it down, which he did. And then, and then there was another possession where he caught the ball on the 
left corner and Jared Allen like chased him off the three point line. He just went in and dunked it. Like that's the, but he, but he took his time to set up for his shot, which baited Jared Allen to coming out. That kind of patience with his jump shot is, is really good. And then he also had an offensive rebound yeah. in the first quarter, all good, but he also had three turnovers in the first quarter and, and like two or three additional plays where, like you said, where he put his head down and just barreled into the lane when there wasn't really anything right. there and just threw the ball back out. And, Two of them in particular were deflected and very easily could have been turnovers for dunks, but just happened by luck to bounce into the hands of Lakers. So that's the Russell Westbrook experience, right? I just described five good plays and five bad right. plays. Like that's kind of the way it goes. And every time I see that, I just think to myself, like if he can somehow find a way to try to trim back on some of the bad, this guy can really raise the ceiling of the team. Um, but, uh, but overall I thought it was more or less your average type of rust performance. The big thing that I'm going to look at in the tape tomorrow is how they utilize Russ in those pick and roll actions and whether or not, <clears throat> cause if Cleveland, if Cleveland was staying home on Russ, then it's kind of fool's gold, right? Because any really good defensive team is going to ignore Russ in those situations. So it'll, I, I'm really interested to see, uh, uh, re- really look back at those pick and roll possessions and see what Cleveland was doing with Russ. But overall, good game, just typical Russ, good and bad mix type of deal. Yeah, so for Russ, only 13 shot attempts in 34 minutes. He was 8 of 13, um, put in uh, five, or six, six, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. But I thought he did away with those like really bad shots. Like you always talk about trim the fat. Right. Like he took some he took those banker three Baker banker like mid range shots, which I kind of I'm OK with. I think he hits those and OK percentage where like he's in the post isolation. Lakers aren't really running anything and he's just against a switch and he tries to bank it in. But like those like transition mid range pull ups, I thought he kind of took those away. Um, he took one. He, did, yeah. Yeah. he only took mm-hmm. one three and he made it. It was that one where he's wide open at the top. You talked about it. But he didn't take those like, you know, I made a layup. Let me come down and and do like a jab step three or one of those. Like he took all those out. Mm. And maybe that's just like the result of playing next to LeBron, I guess. And I thought like they were staggered pretty nicely tonight. Um, And when he got to play with like AD at the five, I thought it looked pretty good. Like him and AD ran a couple ball screens and it looked like it was kind of working. Um, He got a lob to AD on one of the plays in the fourth. He got to the rim. He finished. Um, this was one of the better like Russ games, even if you put in the turnovers, which are never going to go away. That's just kind of the, that's just kind of what you get when you play with Russ. So I thought he was okay. Like this is what it should be, right? Thirteen shot attempts, maybe that's a little, a little low, but he was super efficient on him, and that's all you can really ask. And I thought he fit kind of the defense as well. I thought his defense was fine um, in the fourth too. But yeah, that's kind of what I saw from Russ. Uh, who else? Uh, who else do you want to talk about from tonight? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the defense. So, you know, what what was so interesting about the last couple of years with the Lakers is, you know, for as much as people would make fun of the Lakers, particularly the Spectrum Sportsnet broadcast would always throw up that graphic like Lakers haven't scored in four minutes and 32 seconds. And it would be like ticking on the bottom of the screen. They actually used it tonight at the start of the fourth quarter, which Mm -hmm. I thought was primarily a result of Russell Westbrook co-opting the ball from LeBron. (laughs) And then when, then when LeBron finally was like enough of this and took control, things kind of settled down. But the uh, what's, what was so funny about that is teams, if people would make fun of the Lakers for going through these extensive scoring droughts. Right. You and I would always point out in almost every win, there was there was a pivotal defensive stretch. Yeah. Like a, str- a stretch of the game where they just choked the life out of the other team. Mm-hmm. And during that stretch, you know, even if the Lakers only scored – you know, in a, in a 12 minute quarter, even if they only scored 22 points, they end up holding the other team to like nine or something like that, you know, and they win. Mm -hmm. That was the identity of that team. There was always that pivotal defensive stretch. And this year there have been a handful of short defensive stretches, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there where the right lineup is out there and they get a bunch of stops, but they had never been able to put multiple of those together or an extended one of those together mm-hmm. um, in the first three quarters tonight, or more like the first two and a half quarters tonight, there was that one stretch in the second quarter to the end of the quarter where, you know, for about four minutes, they held the Cavs uh, to, it was either scoreless or nearly scoreless. I can't remember what it was, but all around that was garbage defense. But with two minutes and 40 something seconds left in the third quarter, all the way to the two minute 15 second mark in the fourth quarter when the Cavs took out all their starters, 
So over one quarter, 12 minute and 12 and a half minute stretch, basically they held the Cavs to 10 points. Yeah. That is a, that is a vintage LA Laker defensive stifling. We're literally choking you to death. And, and we're, but the difference is this team can score the ball so well, like at the over that two minutes and 40 something seconds at the end of the third, the Lakers scored 12 points, right. <laughs> you know, and then, and then the start of the fourth, the Lakers got really sloppy offensively and they gave up those 10. That's where those 10 points basically were scored. The 10 points that Cleveland scored. And then they like completely strangled them again. And their offense is so nuclear with the shooting that they have now, because the guys around Anthony Davis and LeBron are, are so much better at shooting the ball than they were in previous years. Like Carmelo, for instance, they just completely blew the game open. All of a sudden you're up 12 and it's pretty much over. Now, here come the Cavs taking their starters out of the game. Point being, like, I always wanted the, the addition of offensive talent to this team to be something that complemented the defense, not something that replaced the defense. Mm-hmm. That was never going to work. Trying to outscore teams was never going to be a way that this could work. The only way to look at it was if we infuse some offensive talent with this group, maybe – the off- maybe our runs will be even more explosive and even more dominant. It was meant to raise the ceiling of the team, not to change the identity of the team. And so that's the key moving forward for me. That stretch, that 12-minute stretch, that needs to be Laker basketball. Laker basketball needs to be we are the same as our championship team with more offensive talent so that our runs are even more explosive and so that we're even more dominant. That needs to be the way that the stars think, the way they approach the game. Because if that's the case, this team will win the title. But if it becomes a swap thing where we're giving away a bunch of ground defensively and making up for it offensively, this team will lose to somebody in the Western Conference playoffs, probably a Phoenix, probably a Utah, probably a Golden State. That's that's kind of the way I see it in my opinion. Yeah, like you talked about that that defense in the fourth, they shut the Cavs' water off. Like they, that's what they basically completely. they completely shut the Cavs' water off. Just and it was a complete diversion from the whole game, right? So like they were coming off these screens and they were doing whatever they wanted. And in the fourth, LeBron and AD were like, "No, like we're gonna be there on the help." LeBron is there, right? He's uh, he's the help defender. That's his job now. And I think it was like Russ um, when they made that run, and you talk about like that they have the offense to score now. The offense was mellow tonight, right? Like you can't help off Melo especially when he's on like that like he was obviously on and you could tell he kind of loves playing in LA and that's pretty cool but it was like Russ Bradley AD LeBron and Melo and 30 percent and three of those people are from that 2020 team right we forget that KCP started in the playoffs but all year it was Avery Bradley and you could tell like Mm -hmm. they kind of turned he was awesome he was great yeah and then you could tell they fit right in defensively like Avery Bradley would you know fight over the screen and AD's right there and AD's able to take away the shot from Garland and take away the pass, the lob to Jared Allen or to Mobley. And, and then they would come down the other end and LeBron has the ball, uh, someone uh, AD screen, and then he, they find Melo. So, but yeah, their defense in that fourth quarter. And I just needed to see that at least a few times. Like I don't need to see it. I want to see it every night. That would be great. I just don't think that's what we're going to get with this team. Like this team has pretty, it's been pretty clear. We're what six games in now. And uh, they've given this kind mm-hmm. of lackluster effort. Um, a few times and I feel like that's what we're going to continue to get especially with the schedule going as it is uh, against Houston Oklahoma City but just to see that was really cool because you're right that was the identity of the 2020 team that they can really just turn your water off and that's what they did against uh, Garland and Mobley and all those dudes they couldn't score 10 points in the fourth I think a lot of that was free throws as well I have to go back and watch uh, the fourth quarter um, but it felt like a lot of those were free throws and really weird dumb fouls but uh but yeah, that was it was it was great to see that they still have that in them. And I feel like Avery Bradley's gonna play a ton going forward. I don't know about you, but I just that's what it felt like from this game to me. We're gonna see a lot more Avery Bradley. If he plays this well, he will. Yeah. Um, you know, the the the, the, ne- the next step for me, in my opinion, because like Cle- Cleveland's a good basketball team. You're gonna see a lot of Laker detractors over the course of the next 48 hours try mm-hmm. to point out that Cleveland sucks. And they they don't. They if you look at the way they're constructed. They're, uh, they have two bigs, but one of them is a stretch big. So it's very similar to the way the Lakers look with their big lineups and their, their big man that they're playing in that Dwight Deandre Jordan role is a much, much better version of Dwight and Deandre. And that's, uh, that's Jared Allen. He's a very, very Mm -hmm. good player at that position. Lori Markinen, really good shooter. And then both of their guards can, can pick you apart out of pick and roll. So they're a good basketball team, but 
they're not at the level of a Phoenix or a Golden State sure. or a Utah. So, so my the next step for me, the t- the thing that would really solidify my optimism in this group is one of those 12, 10, 10, 12, 15 minute stretches against one of those teams That's fair. where they completely shut them down. Like the, the perfect example I'd use would be that Denver game last year, back when LeBron and AD were healthy uh, um, before, before the Achilles issue where they took that Denver team and just completely shut them down in the second half, like mm-hmm. to the point where Jokic, Jokic and Murray looked completely helpless, you know, that kind of thing that once I see one of those stretches, that'll kind of solidify it for me. But so I, I actually have a question for you now. So, mm-hmm. You know, one of the big things that I've been hammering home all summer is this idea that accountability will transform inferior defensive players right. into defensive players that can do their job. Now, there's a couple of – so, for instance, like Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma was a slow-footed 6'9 player who, you know, in terms of his lateral quickness and his first step is pretty below average for an NBA player. Right. But he had some size, but that was where he was lacking. So – he became after being an inferior defensive player to start the 2020 campaign and then was really inconsistent in the, in the, in the uh, Luke Walton years, but he became a very solid defensive player for the Lakers towards Mm -hmm. the end of the championship season and extending into last year. So, Oh God, Siri heard me. (laughs) Hey Siri stopped. Thank you. I have home pods and they're obnoxious <laughs> anyway. So, um, sorry about that guys. Anyway. So, um, so the point is, is they were able to convert Kuzma right. into a passable and serviceable defensive player. Now there, so there's two kind of elements to that that are necessary. One, you have to have at least something that you bring to the table as an athlete. So mm-hmm. for instance, Mello, it's his size. He's big enough that if he gives a shit enough, he should be able to be serviceable. Malik Monk is a very good athlete. So even though he's very thin, he's got half decent size at 6'3 and long arms, and he's a very good athlete. So he has some tool to build around. And then the other big thing is the other players on the floor have to be good defensively. So it requires LeBron and AD to be, you know, all defense level players for this to make sense. But I'm a big believer that they can be converted. So my question for you is with Frank showing tonight, that he is willing to bench players, mm-hmm. including high profile players for not defending. Do you think that over the course of the season through accountability that some of these inferior Laker players can become like Kyle Kuzma serviceable defensive players? I think they can. I, I think Kyle Kuzma is a great kind of example of this um, because under like Luke Wall and I remember Kyle Kuzma didn't even have like a defensive stance really. Like it was really bad. Under Vogel, it developed, and he became, you're right, a, a serviceable defender. Kyle Kuzma was also, what, like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, or something. So he did kind of have the tools to mix with that. Like, I think some guys can. Like, I think Malik Monk can be better than, like, what he's shown. I think there's, like, a baseline level that he can get to. Um, but there's also a cap, right? There's a ceiling. He's a small guard. He's kind of light. Uh, he's not going to become some great defender, but he can become better. Uh, I think accountability, and if your minutes are gone, I'm sure him playing only four minutes tonight is a wake-up call, right? Malik Monk signed here, probably thought, you know, he's going he's gonna to play a bunch off the bench. And he got benched for Austin Reeves, the undrafted kid uh, who came out and uh, is playing better defensively. So I'm sure that is a step up. I still think that's – I don't know if it's a skill and an effort thing. Like, I think blaming defense all on effort is also a mistake as well. I think it's also, like, lack of focus, lack of, lack of skill, lack of knowledge. Like, there's things there. But you're right. I think Vogel putting his foot down like tonight. I think tonight was, like, the first time he really kind of – he really kind of put his foot down, especially with pulling Melo as well for baseball right away. Just showing that he'll he'll do that, I think that can be a wake-up call. But I think it's going to take time. Um, we're probably not going to see those kind of real developments until the middle of the season. And that will be a whole new team as well. We'll get three new rotation guys, three guys who are supposed to be part of the defense. Uh, but I think it can. I just I don't know to what extent that it would. What do you think? Yeah, so I do as well. I, I, I think it's a it's – a, it's a simple fact of urgency, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, if you're Malik Monk and you are as bad defensively as he was in the San Antonio game. Right. Um, but you know, Frank's not pulling you and you have the confidence to continue to be aggressive offensively the way he was. I mean, he hit basically the biggest shot of that game uh-huh. in that pull in that pull up three on the left wing. Like 
there's no urgency. There's nothing that's convincing you to sit down and get in that stance. Like, you know, you have an order of operations when you're playing. Like, it's for all of us, for all of us old men, all of us guys that are just, you know, washed playing basketball at our rec league or our LA fitness. Like, when you go up there, you might have a list of priorities. And your list of priorities might be like, get a sweat. You know, it might be like, you know, try, try to you know, work on your shot. Maybe you're working on your post play. Maybe you get satisfaction at a scoring and that's what matters the most to you. But the only way to actually sit in a stance and do all the things that you need to do to get defensive stops at your position, which like I said, is dirty work. You have to actually want to do it. And the, the easiest way to uh, to want to do it is to tie that to winning. That was always mm-hmm. what worked for me, and that's what all that's what works for most of the best defensive players in the NBA. It's not that they they enjoy sitting in a defensive right. stance and running over pick and rolls all day long. It's they love winning so much, or I should say, they hate losing more than they hate defending. You know what I mean? And from that standpoint, they they drive that to the top of their list and it becomes their number one priority. And all of a sudden it starts to dictate what they do on the court. And that to me, that to me is where it starts. And so this season to start, because there's been no urgency because of injuries, Mm -hmm. Frank has been forced to play some guys and he was never able to build that urgency. Like Malik, what do you think Malik Monk is thinking right now? Like he's probably happy that the Lakers got a win, right? Yeah. But there's no way in the world that he's not sitting on his smartphone right now, like kind of thinking to himself, like, man, like, I want to be out there. Like I I need to be out there. So, so how do you get out there, Malik? You get out there by doing what Austin Reeves is doing, selling your soul on the defensive end of the floor. You know, like, like Malik Monk's made more shots than, than Austin this year. Malik Monk has made bigger shots than Austin this year. He made the biggest shot of the year, probably in that, Mm -hmm. in that three along the left wing with San Antonio. So, what do the Laker fans care most about? They seem to like Austin more so far. Why? Because they want to win and they know that Austin right now is helping them win Mm -hmm. to a greater extent. So that's your pathway, Malik. That's your pathway to a bigger contract. That's your pathway to a bigger role. That's your pathway to being a significant piece on a winning basketball team is caring about the defensive end of the floor. So that urgency, I think will trickle down into his physical tools being applied in the proper, proper way, which is, selling out on the defensive end and he can be he can and should eventually be uh, a good defensive player I, I i think he has that capability yeah he has like the athletic tools right he doesn't really have the size but also like malik monk i think that that's all true and again like to play on vogel's team i think you're gonna have to defend at a certain level but malik monk was brought here to get buckets right to score like that's the main reason kind of why they brought him here i think there's lineup stuff you can do as well it's like but with Malik Monk, you still see this like untapped potential, right? But when you see Carmelo, you're like, he's not going to get better defensively, right? Carmelo's just going to be who he is. So there's like this line you kind of you kind of have to walk with it. I think Malik Monk will be better, but again, like I still see him as a guy that was brought here to get buckets, and which is why I would like to see him kind of with that starting group or play more minutes next to AD, next to LeBron, two guys who can kind of cover for him defensively. He was pulled really quickly because of his defense but also i thought like he was next to i think he was next to mellow and he was next to dwight and one other person i don't remember who it was but it wasn't a great defensive lineup either but you're right it wasn't a good line yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't, no, wasn't a great lineup you're right really quickly to, mm-hmm. to to throw to throw malik a bone to your point like well, like i said the two important qualifiers are it needs to be lebron and ad caring right and they need to be in that baseline of athletic talent like the point is is like even 2021 Kyle Kuzma, mm-hmm. if I threw him out there in some of those garbage lineups, he's going to get barbecued too. So to, to, there's a, there is a baseline here. Like Carmelo looked pretty solid defensively in crunch time tonight. Why? Because he was around Bazemore and Bradley and mm-hmm. LeBron and AD. So you, so you're a thousand percent right about that part. Like you need to set them up to succeed, but they also have to meet you halfway. A For little sure. bit. Like it's, it's part, part of Frank setting them up to succeed, but it's also part of them you know, agreeing to the commitment that Frank is asking. For, right. No, sense. for sure. And yeah. I feel like when we're going to rewatch, like that first half is going to look so different to me. Like they didn't even make the Cavs make like two decisions. It was just a quick like screen roll, wide open shot for Laurie Markkinen, wide open dunk for Jared Allen. In the second half, they really tied it down. I wanted to ask you this because 
was Rondo Rondo wasn't hurt, was he? Well, I think he was on the injury report for something, but I think he was still able to play. But we got zero Rondo Westbrook lineups tonight. Actually, Rondo didn't even play. So I'm wondering, do you think was that just him hurt? Was that him now kind of getting out of the rotation? Uh, what, do, what do you think? Because that's what I noticed big in this game. Uh, there was no Rondo Westbrook lineup to to piss off piss us off tonight. <laughs> and maybe that's just because he was kind of I think he was nursing like a sore ankle or something like that. Uh, but no, no minutes for him. I don't think. I think it's all LeBron. I think it's LeBron. It's that simple. I, like mm-hmm. he he was out of the rotation. Um, uh, I think after the first game or after the second game, it was all about the fact that when LeBron went down, they needed yeah. playmaking in those bench lineups, and so they had to go to Rondo. And for the record, like you know, this was the one big thing that had me like chill out about mm-hmm. the last couple games. Cause the, even the Spurs win was ugly as all hell, you know, yeah. but lo, like what Bay, like what Baysmore, what was the, what was the exact quote that Baysmore said? Oh yeah. He was like, he's like, we were without our head honcho tonight. Oh yeah. And, he did and say that's that. the truth. That's the truth, man. Like, you know, we talked, we, we talked extensively about Anthony Davis and some of his shortcomings in terms of like leadership mm-hmm. um, uh, in the last pod. And there's some truth to that. Like there, there are guys that that kind of are going to do better when they get behind the the more boisterous personality, and that's what LeBron is. And and all of the guys, they, they like the whole when when he went down, everything fell out of whack, including but not limited to they had to play Rondo because mm-hmm. they needed somebody to put all these guys in the right spots offensively. And and that was why they had to play Rondo. But you're right. I, I don't think it's associated with injury. My hope is that if LeBron is healthy, you won't see Rondo unless it's garbage time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I thought that was just interesting uh, that we didn't get to see him. And it was just purely, purely Russ and LeBron kind of running the show. And I thought they found some good lineups with that. Russ got to play uh, with AD at the five with a couple shooters. I think it was Russ, Reeves, uh, AD, Carmelo and one other person and that worked Russ got to the rim you saw him like be able to open up uh, attack the basket find AD I thought they found uh some things that worked uh tonight so this was a good win though I feel like uh, do you have anything else from tonight to really touch on I'm good man let's get like two callers up here and call it a night for sure Uh, LeBron, 23, are you there? What's up, guys? What's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Um, so, obviously, you know, I remember I came on after the uh, OKC game and I was kind of talking a bit more about Frank and things mm-hmm. that he needed to do offensively and with lineups. And I think um, especially the second half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, you saw a lot more of, like, stuff that I think I expected from the team. Especially defensively, because I think do we lose him? Yeah, I think it, I think it might have cut off. Well, he did bring up something interesting though about Frank, because you had you and I had specifically mentioned that the formula of the team. Mm-hmm was give Frank the defense and give LeBron the offense. And we kind of saw that tonight, right? Like yep. you saw, you saw Frank implement a defensive scheme with personnel that completely shut down Cleveland. And then you saw LeBron pick them apart on the other end. Right. So the partnership, the partnership only works if, you know, the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator are both there <laughs> and the offensive coordinator was gone for the last two games. So there's, there, I, I will always stand behind Frank because I don't think it's a coincidence what happened the last two years. Yep, me either. I feel like, I don't know, I, I'm getting this weird like feeling with AD kind of also walking through these games. Like I, I, like we said, we give him a lot of slack, but like he's the one that's 28. He should be the one that's going off, but it, maybe it's just rubs off from uh, from LeBron and also. But the whole point of Russ was to kind of wake them up through these games, right? Like So it's kind of a strange kind of going on uh harsh are you there yeah yeah i'm here what's going on man so uh i'm good how are you we're doing well okay so uh 
I guess uh, LeBron 23 just mentioned about Vogel's lineups, and I was in this uh, other room. We were discussing the same thing that you know uh, Vogel made the right adjustments uh, uh, in this game to you know uh, effectively because you know in last game I remember that uh, uh, there was one lineup which had Westbrook and Rondo in it, and I don't know what Vogel was thinking uh, to put Westbrook and Rondo uh, at the same time on the floor because you know two uh, two ball dominant guys, two ball handlers. Uh, Uh, effectively uh, you know uh, they are useless without the ball in their hands but you know uh, vogel did the right things uh, he made mostly the right adjustments called the timeouts at you know the right times uh, to make you know really change the momentum of the game uh, in our favor so props to vogel for that you know and i wanted to uh, ask you on your opinions about what is what will be carmelo's and carmelo anthony's role when you know uh Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Ariza, and all those guys will uh, will be coming back from injury because you know uh, we won't see Carmelo shooting ball that much. You know when these guys come back. So it's it, you hit a couple interesting things. So first of all, with Frank, we need to give Frank a very important compliment or very important bit of slack, and that's that he, when the shit hits the fan, he will make adjustments. He, you know, all season in the championship year, it was all smooth sailing, right? Like the Lakers just dominated throughout the regular season. So we didn't see him have to do too much. And people would complain about lineups here and there. But then when push came to shove and they were playing Houston and Houston wasn't playing a center, guess what? We didn't play center. So, you know, for, for, for all of the things that people give Frank a hard time for, when push comes to shove, he makes the adjustment. And what was interesting about this season is it happened earlier, right? Like you were expecting this, this transition to defensive oriented players to eventually happen, but it happened in the fifth game because they were having, they were having issues with, uh, with defense that caused them to fall down two and three, like they, the urgency struck early this year and Frank made adjustments. But the, uh, the thing you mentioned about Carmelo is interesting because the, the the I'm not worried about none coming back or THT coming back affecting his minutes. The big one's going to be uh, Trevor Ariza. So when Trevor Ariza comes back, if he's hitting 38% of his threes, you kind of have to play him instead of Melo. But if he turns into something more like what Wesley Matthews was, where, you know, three out of four nights, he goes one for six from three or worse, then I think you have to go with Carmelo because as the fifth player, alongside all of those other defensive players, Melo is okay enough defensively that his super high offensive ceiling becomes worth it. But Trevor Ariza is so much better defensively that if he can knock some shots down, I think Melo's minutes end up going to him. What do you think, Raj? Yeah, like I've always said I wanted Melo kind of at the 10 to 15 minute kind of mark. Right now he's playing, I think, like 20 plus. um, And we'll see if that kind of continues. But yeah, I mean, having him as a spacer, like if his shot is going, that's a huge threat to put next to, like I always said, next to Russ, Braun, AD, you need like some knockdown shooters. I thought Wayne Ellington could be that guy and maybe he can't defend at a baseline level enough to play. But Carmelo is a guy who's also a fearless shooter. He's a guy who's going to take the shot when it's open. Um, and I think that's a big kind of thing playing next to these guys and he's going to play. Um, I don't know how much when those guys get back, we'll see. We'll see how Ariza plays. Ariza should be the guy, like you said, Jason, that fits right into that um but i think thg is also gonna get a shot uh, but yeah i would like carmelo at that 10 15 mark but if he's hot like he can play um if you can cover up for him defensively like we saw tonight uh if you put him next to braun and ad when they're engaged as help defenders you can kind of hide carmelo in that way where he's it's tougher to pick on him uh, and i think he'll play i think a guy like that who's a knockdown shooter i think he's over 40 percent again this year on his catch and shoots those like isolation shots you'd like those to kind of be minimal but uh that's just that's kind of the game you get when you get Carmelo on the floor. But if he's taking and making threes like that, it's electric. It's especially if you combine it with the engaged defense of Bron and AD. So we'll see. I, I don't know if Ariza. I think Ariza is going to come in and and play a big part. But if Melo's hitting shots, he's going to play for sure. Yeah, the thing is about Carmelo. You know, uh, somewhere I remember in second quarter, he was being targeted back to back. You know, uh, in the pick and roll positions because uh, you know he he wasn't contributing much defensively. So I think uh, about uh, what uh, Carmelo's um, shortcomings are. You know, uh, he tends to go. Uh, you know, what do you call it? He tends to go cold sometimes uh, because I don't know. So uh, that that 
that accounts for some risk so uh, that was my uh, that was my concern what would be uh, carmelo's future when ariza comes back uh, comes back because you know uh, ariza is a better defender and vogel tends to lean towards uh, a better defensive player and compromise a bit of offense on the offense because you know he's a defense minded coach yeah i agree yeah i mean for, it, it, there's all there's always a balancing act right like if on any given night you know it could be avery bradley it could be malik monk you know it could be trevor reza it could be carmelo anthony that's the the option that exists now that did not exist in previous seasons in previous seasons you went with you know shooter and kcp or you went with danny green and kcp and you just you crossed your fingers and you hope they made shots <laughs> you know mm-hmm. because they're just there was no better option. And the difference with this year is Frank will have options. It's going to be like, Hey, this particular team on this particular night, I prefer that little extra bit of offense. Even if we give that little inch away on the defensive end in crunch time with Malik Monk or with, with Carmelo Anthony, those that is to me, to me, it's a versatility is all it is. And so that, that's why I was a fan of the moves over the summer the problem, the thing that I, you know, failed to account for, at least early on, is that, you know, your defensive identity comes from a group. It comes from a, a like a total vibe in the locker room. And when you trade out a bunch of defensive minded players for offensive minded players, sometimes that whole identity shifts. And so that's going to be their challenge this year is making sure that they recapture that 2020 identity with this group of guys um, but I, uh, in theory, having options is good. It makes for more decision-making on Frank's part, which obviously is a challenge, but it's a good challenge, if that makes sense. Yep, and you could see him kind of looking for those defensive kind of minded players, which is why I think Avery Bradley's going to play a whole time going forward. And he's a guy that's also connected to that 2020 team. I think it just makes sense with the injuries we have. He fits kind of the Kendrick Nunn spot, I guess, for right now. Um, and I think Austin Reeves as well, since he's defending, uh, he's playing pretty well. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. Harsh, I appreciate you coming up. We're going to get, um, one more person up here and then, uh, call it a night. Thanks Harsh. Have a good one, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Yo, yo, can you hear me? We can hear you. What's going on, man? Yes. Okay. Hey, uh, I joined kind of late, so I don't know if you guys covered this already. My apologies. But uh, I wanted to talk about um, uh, like an identity change with the team. So I know a lot of the times that people are talking about how they're mm-hmm. trying to recreate um, like a defensive-oriented team just with like a like a steroided-up 2020 offense, in ter- if, like if you get what I'm trying to say. But right, right. Mm-hmm. I think that um, – I think that what we saw today is that uh, that throughout three quarters of a game, the Lakers are like trying to keep it close, just trying to find out, especially early in the season, what's working and what's not. And then once they like lock in, they can get like key stops down the stretch instead of doing what they did the last two years, which is like getting stops every single like quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. What do you guys think about um, like just like that kind of identity instead of clamping for a whole 48 minutes? Because I know like, for example, last year, Miami was like they had a bunch of like terrible guard defenders in terms of like not like overly terrible, but like they weren't like good defenders. But they had two like exceptional defenders in Bam and Jimmy. Right. And that was their formula as well, which is like just get the key stops down the stretch because you have two of the best defenders in the league. And that's, like, similar to what the Lakers have right now. So I don't know, like, what you guys uh, have to say about that. So we we did talk a little bit about the identity earlier, but just to kind of take it a step further with what you're bringing up, like, you know, the problem – so Pete Pete from, like, a film room has been hitting on this a lot on on his pod, this idea that, like, can you go on defensive runs? Mm -hmm. Can you have a – five minute stretch where you put a game away. And for the record, that's what the Lakers did tonight. They had a couple of defensive runs. So that is in essence, what a defensive identity is. However, 
it's a it's a balancing act. Like you, uh, this is why I like tracking defensive rating over the course of the season because if your defensive runs are too few and too far between, it'll manifest as a defensive rating that's somewhere in the you know 15, 20, 25 range instead of top five range, right? And that that can be a problem. That can cost you uh, not only basketball games in the regular season, but that is your identity. At that point, you are a team that only defends for short bursts and for the rest of the, the game coasts. And that becomes your identity. The reason why identity matters is that's what you fall back on when the shit hits the fan, when it is a, when it is a game four and it's series is two to one and it's the third quarter and the score is 72, 72 and LeBron's jumper is not going in and Anthony Davis's jumper is not going in. And the, the other team's kind of shutting off the rim and you're having trouble scoring like that's adversity. And in those moments, you always fall back on what your identity is, what your habits are. And so th- that's why, like, if you are a team that just goes on defensive runs and over the course of the season, those runs were few and far between, you might try to start that engine and it just might not be there. That gear that you're trying to hit might not be there when you need it. In my opinion, a top five defensive team, a team that cares about that end and has that defensive identity, when they need to start that engine, it'll start. And they'll be able to get the necessary stops when they need to, to carry them through troublesome stretches of NBA playoff games. So that's why I see it as so important. But we did talk more extensively about this identity change earlier in the pod. So you'll be able to listen to that on our podcast feed uh, here in about a half hour. I just want to quickly like speak on it because I think comparing it to Miami, like I think that's very interesting. That's kind of fascinating to me. And Miami now, who has Kyle Lowry, and they look pretty great, at least on defense from the games that I've seen. But I think the Lakers, their identity, like you could talk about this identity and stuff, but it all wraps around Anthony Davis, right? Like that's where their identity mm-hmm. should kind of start from. And then you can branch out from that. But if he looks disengaged from the first two quarters or he doesn't look like he's ready to be the help defender every single night, then you're just not going to be able to build this identity. Like uh, obviously not having the great guard defenders in Caruso, KCP, even Danny Green, even Dennis Schroeder to his extent. Um, all those guys are great, but like this has to start with AD. And until we see him kind of put his foot down, like Vogel put his foot down, AD needs to put his foot down as well, right? In that 2020 season, he talked about holding people accountable you know, having LeBron make first team all defense, all this stuff um, that he talked about. And we didn't really see it last year um, because then we gave some excuses for it, for the reasonings that there were. But this year, it should be different. I need to see this every single night, not just from LeBron. I can expect it only from a few spots here and there. But AD's 28. Like, this is his time to take over, at least on defense. I don't expect him him to be the offensive engine. But he can be the defensive engine um, and be that identity that I guess – I think Butler and Bam are from Miami. Like AD has to be that for us. But I think that's a great point. I like that comparison there from uh, with Miami. Yeah, good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. This team gives me shades of like the 2017 Cavs, where like <laughs> they weren't really a good defense, but in the last quarter of a game, like I don't know, teams had a hard time scoring in the playoffs, especially too, just because like they were an offense like driven team. But at the mm-hmm. end of games, like you had LeBron James on the defensive end uh, making plays and like. Shumper, all them. So, like, yeah, I don't know. That's what the, uh, this team kind of reminds me of. So, yeah, that's why I just asked that. The 2017 Cavs are an interesting comp. And, and one of the things that I think people forget about that team is, you know, as as much as they had the Warriors as an excuse, which I've always said that, like, I think the Warriors being so good that year is exactly why LeBron let his foot off the gas defensively. I think LeBron knew that there wasn't much of a chance and he, one of his biggest weaknesses is that when, when LeBron doesn't actually sense the trophy, he can be somewhat pouty and somewhat passive aggressive and he can be lazy and he can do those sorts of things. Um, But that's actually a really interesting comp. I'm hopeful that this is going to go a different direction very soon. Um, But I was literally tonight thinking about how they reminded me of the 2018 Cavs because the 2018 Cavs used to consistently find themselves behind against bad teams, which was, which was uh, like a recurring theme throughout that season. Like it just was like, here they are playing the Knicks again and they're down by 15. And you're like, what in the world is going on with this team? You know, but 
uh, that that team also was pretty old, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but but the, I'm hopeful that this team, based on what they've done in previous years with LeBron and AD, I'm hopeful that this team will shift away from that identity soon. But that certainly is their identity now, and they deserve to be called out for that. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate man. you. Raj, did you have anything else tonight, man? Uh, no, I think that's good. Uh, appreciate everyone that came and stayed on a on a Friday night here uh, after a really nice win. Yes, thank you guys all so much as usual. Um, uh, we will be back on Sunday night for the Rockets game. This will be airing on – actually, may not be airing on Dash Radio because I guess our Houston show will air on Dash Radio. But this one will be on our co- podcast feed on uh, – um, on, uh, all of your podcast platforms within the next half hour or so. We sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and we'll see you in a couple days. Thanks, everyone.